Welcome to the Morning Huddle, where business, healthcare, and lifestyle meet. This platform is designed to educate and equip business-minded training healthcare professionals to become the leaders in an evolving healthcare landscape. We are your hosts, Dr. Jermaine Fetty. And I'm student Dr. Kamal Smith. This summer, we'll be sharing a series of in-depth conversations with a diverse group of dental professionals and change agents within healthcare. Our goal is to answer your questions, expose various pathways to success, and discuss core strategies to secure a healthy financial future. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Morning Huddle. We have here some special, special guests. Uh, we have Dr. Chris and Dr. Duke coming in uh, from the tribe itself, our book club we had from back in dental school uh, to now where everybody's doing great things in their communities. Uh, my name is Dr. Jermaine Fetty. Um, I am a general dentist in the Charlotte region. Um, I love what I do and I love being able to speak to amazing uh, dentists like this on, on the podcast to be able to touch on such great topics. So I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to be able to introduce themselves. Dr. Chris, go ahead. I'm Chris Ammons and I'm originally from Chicago, Southside. Uh, and I went to college in Chicago, decided to stay home and be close to family uh, throughout my undergrad years. But then like, after four years or so, I was like, you know what, I think it's time for a change. So um, I applied to all dental schools outside of Illinois, didn't want to be in Chicago anymore, let alone Illinois. So, um, after that, uh, I was blessed with the opportunity to go to Michigan, uh, University of Michigan for dental school, uh, which wasn't too far away from home. So, uh, I went there, did four years. And then, uh, after that, uh, I started an AGD program. For those who don't know what AGD is, it's an advanced education in general dentistry. It's a one-year program uh, for the most part, but there are programs that are two-year. Um, I did that for one year. And then immediately after that program ended, I started a general practice residency or GPR in short uh, at Harlem Hospital uh, for a set for one year. And then after that, I worked in community dentistry for a year in private practice. And then I started my uh, endodontic residency in 2017 and then graduated in 2020. And who would have known that I would have graduated in the middle of a pandemic? Who, who would have knew? <laughs> um, and here I am today um, back in New York, but not city. I'm in Long Island. So, and that's where I'm at today. Sounds good. Thank you. Doc, it's on you. Oh, man, that's what Chris had a hell of a journey, didn't he? Uh, <laughs> Dr. Duke Okeke, originally from Durham, North Carolina, by way of Nigeria, number state. Um, I went to North Carolina Central University, HBCU, Eagle Pride, Amplify. Uh, then after that, I went to UNCG for post back. You know, um, I was a collegiate athlete, grades were trash, so I had to figure that out and uh, eventually got it together. Made my way out to UNC Chapel Hill. Um, that's where I met all these guys. We created something. And um, I feel like at this point, this is us maintaining something, building something, growing something. And so I'm just happy to be a part of it, happy to be here. Amazing, amazing. Uh, 
Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Again, this is The Morning Huddle. Uh, my name is Dr. Jermaine Fetty. I am one half of The Morning Huddle. Uh, our other half student, Dr. Kamal Smith, couldn't be here today. He had a prior engagement. Now that he is the newly president-elect of the Student National Dental Association, uh, so big ups to him. Uh, this, this episode is going to be fun, and let's get into it. So, fellas, tell me, why did you decide to pursue dentistry? I'll start. Um, for me, it was a it was a happy medium, right? It was the happy medium between art and medicine, right? So it gave me the freedom to, you know, constantly express myself, constantly grow, but also constantly meet a need, constantly serve, constantly, you know, maintain a, a level of quote unquote pillar esque quality. Right. Um, because once, once you become a doctor of any sort in your community, you, you take on a certain level of responsibility. Right. That responsibility comes with, you know, a, a certain level of prestige. We all love it. We all live in it. We all go through it. But at the same time, that's not the main thing. It's just a nice little perk. So um, just being able to constantly you know, feed into the community, constantly, you know, be one of the few. But in my mind, one of the many who have decided to take up the mantle of doing something and, and trailblazing and continue to put the show to the plow so we can make others behind us greater. You know, that's, that's really what I got into it for. I love dentistry as well. Let me not, let me not just forget that. You know, I actually do enjoy this work. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, for me, uh, it was a good and bad experience. I'll say that, that kind of, driven me to become a dentist um i'll start with the the bad experience because the bad experience you know um happened first so um i think i was about i think i was like uh had to be like seven or eight years old and i'm not sure if anybody you know is um, too maybe too young to remember but uh there was a show called american gladiators uh that came on tv uh, when I was a kid and me and my brother were um, playing American Gladiators in the room. So we had like a twin bed and we had a bunk bed that was next to it. And we were jumping from the top bunk to the twin bed. Now, all of those attempts were successful until that one time where like I, I had like tripped over like one of the rails on the bed and like my face hit the cast iron radiator. It was so bad. You ain't <laughs> taking two so did you? No, <laughs> nothing chipped, nothing broke, just a shift. That was it. Like my tooth just shifted. And, and then that led me to the orthodontist when I was in the seventh grade. And, uh, you know, I had braces and, you know, my orthodontist kept telling me like, you have to brush your teeth, Chris. Oh, oh, oh. you have to brush your teeth. And I was breaking brackets like left and right, man. It was just crazy. But I knew he was kind of frustrated with me, but Little did he know that he was having a positive impact on me because of the treatment that he was providing for me. And obviously it was, you know, the aesthetics of my teeth and everything. And uh, he had a very positive, he made a very positive impact on my life. And I wanted to have that same impact on others' lives. And that's when I decided to become a dentist. And from, from that point on, it's been up and up. So so that's why I got into it. Um, I think another thing too is that like I'm very detail oriented as well. So 
um, there is a, an element of artistry in dentistry and you know it's, it's it's more than just you know doing a procedure and that's it like no you got to have some um artistic eye and sense um when providing care to patients especially if you're doing you know endodontics or you know even you know restorative dentistry you know aesthetics you know that's a huge thing you know so you have to be um you know very you know uh, knowledgeable and and skilled to, you know, do full mouth reconstruction because there are some folks out there who have complex problems that require, you know, high level skill, you know? So, um, and that's another reason why I got into it amongst other reasons, but I'll just keep it short, but yeah, that's why I got into it. <laughs> all right, all right, appreciate that. Let's hop into the nitty gritty. So what is the best piece of advice you receive during your dental education? And I'm talking about like a dental tip, something that okay, this really changed the game. And I'll give you one of mine, which seems very simple. My first day in clinic, um, I still remember um, Dr. Cam, uh, in a, actually in our book club too, uh, guest appearances every now and then. Um, I was in clinic and in my mirror, it just kept on fogging up. And I was like, man, like, how do we stop getting this mirror to fog up? He said, rub it against the cheek and see what happens. Rub it against the cheek and I could see. So tell me, what's a key that, that you got along your dental education that a dental student listening here today is like, man, that'll really, really open them eyes. It could be during your endo residency. It could be while Duke, when your fourth year, third year or rotations, whichever way. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> there's so Man, there's so many, so many, bro. Like I'm trying to. There's so many. Oh my give me, gosh. Give me some quick keys then, because people will go like, going back to listen to this. They want all the keys. Take your time. Yeah. yeah. Take your time. Yeah. Like th that was probably. So when I was in 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 Indo residency, I was just starting out, and um, I was you know I was getting a little frustrated with you know some things like you know my technique and everything, and you know I was just starting residency. You know, coming from being a general dentist to you know, uh, now becoming a specialist. And and I was, you know, getting it, you know, training and everything. And, you know, I was just frustrated with like, you know, some of the things that, you know, I was, I was doing at the time. And, and then, you know, my program director was like, he told us first years, he was like, look, take your time, feel the endo, don't rush. Eventually you will get faster or you will become more efficient, right? Mm -hmm. And he kept saying it because we were so, you know, uh, you know, pressed about, you know, graduating on time and getting the requirements that we needed and all of that. And, you know, just doing things in a stepwise fashion was was just not I mean, in our minds, a good look for us because we wanted to be fast. We wanted to be quick. But then I took a step back and I was like, hold on, let me let me take a beat for a second and let me see what is it is that I'm doing wrong. And I was really getting ahead of myself. So I was like, you know, let me just, you know, slow down a little bit, feel this out, you know, and then eventually things just started coming to me. Like, okay, now I know I, I have a feel for this. I'm starting to get comfortable. Like now I can pick up the speed. And that advice has still been ringing in my head. E even now as a private practicing endodontist, like, I am my worst critic. I tell everybody that I'm my worst critic. I always beat myself up before the world does. And I always 
think of myself being here, but actuality I'm here. So it's like, how can I get here? It's about taking the time, gradually building up to that level. Because like, I, I think I, I told you before we even got on the, on the, um, on the, uh, on the show is that, you know, um, the way I do cases now is totally different than how I did it before. So now that I'm here, I'm like rein, reinventing myself in a way. So I have to figure out what works best in my hands for me to get to that level. And I've explored those areas. And now I'm adopting what I've learned in residency and, and of course, dental school, all of those things into private practice endo now. And then I'm just basically gathering all of those things together, coupling them with private practice experience. And now I'm operating on a different frequency. So I'm just, I'm just practicing in a different way. So I would say for all the dental students out there, you know, don't be so quick to get to a level where you see someone else is the most efficient because you'll miss a lot. So you just have to just take your time and, you know, eventually you will get to the point where, you know, you will be your best self. But in actuality, where you are right now is perfect because you're in student mode and you're learning, and you're growing. So eventually you will blossom into the one that you are destined to be in a way. So don't be so quick in a nutshell. <laughs> That's good. Dr. Duke, what you got for us? Give us some keys. Um, one thing I think that would have helped me or that was helpful, and it wasn't necessarily a tip, it's more so something I discovered was how to get that distal on those uh, second molars, right? Like number two and number 14, number 15, just getting down in there, um, extending the mirror to the point where you know how to hold things effectively. You just, like you said before, like Dr. Hammond said, you you learn the field. There's really no, there's really no, you know, uh, esoteric, explanation there's really no you know guidebook to how to actually get back there you just fall into it in all honesty and i i know that that sucks right when you hear that you're like yeah that, I, there really is no answer to that question you just get into it just like with just like with uh inverted when when you start working with inverted vision right when you start working with the mirror no one can really tell you how to get that visual down you just eventually fall into it you know, they can guide you and say, okay, put your mirror here, extend the cheek here, do X, Y, and Z. But until you actually start doing it, you get a feel for it, it ain't going to change. Nothing really gets better. Nothing really shifts. But yeah. like he said, like Dr. Ammon said, man, you just get a feel for it. Don't really worry about the speed. Get the technique down. All right? Once the technique hits, then everything else is cake, for lack of better terms. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Now that we've touched on the clinical uh, let's touch on the business side of things a little bit. So between the two of y'all, uh, real quick, briefly, where do you work? And let me, how has your skill set grown since you've gotten to where you are? Anyone can take this first. All right. Well, I, I didn't I didn't follow that uh, line when I started the intro. So I'll go ahead and finish up there. I'm currently working in Wilmington, North Carolina as general dentist at a group practice. Um, it's really a DOO, a dental, or, a dental-owned organization, right? And so it's um, Rick and Benny and Associates. It's a decent company, solid company. I love them. Um, I'm having a good time. It's basically uh, me and I'd say four or five other docs in one group practice setting. And um, you know, wherever you have a deficiency, someone else may have a strength. And so essentially, it's a it's a space that 
you can learn whatever you want to learn if you have the patience and ability, right? Um, and the one thing that I would say I've gotten much, much faster and uh, I've improved in a lot is doing multiple procedures in one block, right? So let's say uh, when you were in dental school, you probably had a root canal and all you really do is the root canal that day then bring them back in a couple of weeks, right? Mm -hmm. In private practice, you might be doing that root canal and that crown prep and final impression in the same slot, right? And that's within an hour, hour and a half, right? And so in that space, I've gotten more efficient in regards to cutting that crown and then doing that endo and then temporizing, just breaking it down into allotments, breaking it down into segments that actually work for me. So I'll probably cut the crown and get my reduction and all that good stuff first and then go ahead and do my endo so that my numbers are all solid you know, in terms of just my file length, et cetera, right? And just doing that in a timely fashion in an efficient way is, is it sounds like it's quick. It sounds like it's straightforward. But if you've ever done endo, you can understand how you can start sweating when that canal just don't come out right or when that, when that file just maybe snaps or when you, you know, possibly don't get the right, you know, uh, quote unquote measurement, you know, your x-rays don't look that great or something, you know, you, you can panic on anything. You, hell you can have that rubber dam go off and just things just don't sit down properly and you just start stressing so until you get to that that point where everything flows and you get the feel for it you know it'll, it'll, it'll definitely be difficult but that's what i would say i improved in the most dr chris all right um so i'm currently based in long island new york um i'm in a group endo practice uh premier endodontics long island um, there's a lot of <laughs> endodontists under this umbrella. Uh, it's been a great experience so far. Um, I definitely have no regrets in, uh, you know, uh, coming along and joining this team. Uh, it's been uh, a, a good experience thus far and, you know, a great uh, band of, you know, seasoned uh, endodontists as well as, you know, uh, some of the associates are, are good. You know, they have different experiences coming from different programs and they bring a lot to the table as well. So I learned a lot from them. And I think that, um, you know, the benefit of being in a, in a group practice is that, you know, you, you actually can lean on your colleagues, you know, in case like you have, you know, any questions or if you encounter like any like difficult cases. And it's always good to get like, another set of eyes or another, another brain, you know, in the room to, you know, give some feedback and, or input on, you know, how to manage cases and, and all of that. And, you know, there's always, you know, curiosity in that office because, you know, we all come from different programs and different walks of life, but, but it's like, when it comes down to, you know, the work and everything, you know, we may not have, you know, of course, we know how to do a root canal, we know how to manage a case, but, you know, sometimes it's always good to just, you know, get, uh, you know, some input from someone outside of yourself. Um, and I think, you know, by working in a group uh, practice, it, it's very beneficial in that regard. Um, and I think there was a there was a second part to your question, uh, Jermaine. What was it? It was uh, how does where, just, where are you what, working what was it now? And as far as like how have you grown within it, your job so far? Well, actually, I think you answered both at this point. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. Real good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's all good. So listen, we got plenty more questions. We're going to get into some nitty gritty parts of it. So let me right. ask you this. As far as obviously everybody's working now, so there had to be some type of contract signed. So how did the contract negotiation component of that go? Having the right people get eyes on it, right? Um, and so when I started, you know, before I even you know, signed my contract, I had some trusted eyes who had been in the game for a long time um, and that I thought were financially savvy, take a look at my contract and they, they you know, did a little nitpicking and asked me, are you okay with this? Are you okay with that? Are you okay with X, Y, and Z? You know, talking about CE, talking about PTO, talking about contract length, talking about um, non-competes, talking about, you know, production versus collections, et cetera, right? Like, just pointing out all of that good stuff, the, 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 the minutia that you probably wouldn't know too much about because you were too focused on just getting a job, right? So um, just being able to have people that I trust take a look at those things legally as well as just in terms of the business clinically, right? And so I, I, I made sure that I had at least those two good sets of eyes, professional sets of eyes, take a look at that contract before I said, all right, cool, I'm going to sign this. Right. Because I didn't want to tie myself into a bind. And then, you know, I get into a job and six months in, I find out that I don't like the job and I want to quote unquote leave. Now I got to pay back that year and a half that I owe on that contract, you know, and I don't got that kind of money. So now we're talking about, you know, other kinds of financial detriments that we don't want to necessarily dive into, you know, when you're first getting out. So, yeah, that was something that I, I would highly advise everybody to do. Just get a good set of eyes, people you trust on that. Okay. Chris, how did you negotiate your contract? Um, I would say, you know, for the contract that I'm under right now, <laughs> there was really no negotiating, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but in a, in a good way. Um, I mean, there was some, you know, negotiating, but, but it wasn't like anything like any like drastic, you know, change in the verbiage of the contract itself. Um, you know, I actually had, you know, I, I, this time around, you know, coming out of residency and going back into the workforce, I wanted to do it the right way. Because the first time I signed a contract, I was like fresh out of my general practice residency and I was working for a guy um, in private practice. And, you know, I, I looked at it myself and I thought this was just the, you know, typical GP type contract so I just signed it and then I just gave it to him um but of course you know needless to say like that was that I, I'm not no longer with that person and that was probably one of the worst experiences I've ever had as a general dentist ever and you know I, I learned a lot and not, not all of it was good I will say that if anything it, it, it taught me to you know to not be like him <laughs> So uh, even on, on, a, on, a, on a, as a business professional, like it's not, you know, that's not a good look for me to be like him in that respect. But, but anyway, um, as far as the contract goes, um, I had an attorney look at mine. Um, you know, I had an attorney look at my contract and he reviewed it and, you know, he, he made some, some big, big changes on it. And then I, I sort of questioned the changes, like, because I reviewed the contract myself before I sent it to him. And I was like, okay, I think what they're offering me and what they're asking of me is fair. I don't think that 
you know, I need to change these numbers significantly. I'm, I'm talking about like Xing this out and putting like 10 more digits or five more digits more. And I'm like, wait a minute, oh, a I'm not greedy. Lawyer? Mm -hmm. Was this a dental related lawyer? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so apparently his wife was a, uh, I think his wife was a pediatric dentist, but he, most of his clientele are dentists. Gotcha. So I had him review my, my contract and, you know, he, he was marking up all of these, you know, making all of these changes on the contract. And I, and I was like, and I was a little hesitant to even bring it to my, my mentor. Like, Hey, look, this is what I want. Like, Oh, I mean, I was like, look, you know, this contract is fair. I just need you to review it. Just, I, I, I was really just doing it for a peace of mind. That's all I was really doing. So I wasn't really, you know, looking to have another set of professional right. eyes to look at it for me to try to win over, you know, because I, you know, because my thing is, is that, you know, it has to benefit both parties. It, you know, it has to be good on my end and good on their end. So the contract that he gave me, it was, it was, honestly, it was fair. And I even showed it to, you know, my, my, uh, uh, my program director and he looked at, it, he was like, oh man, that's a pretty solid contract, Chris. Like, yeah, I, I would jump on that. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I think so too. But I just wanted to be sure that I wasn't like walking into anything, but of course, like, you know, I know this guy, I've known him since 2015. So I knew he wouldn't like, you know, you know, do me dirty gotcha. <laughs> on the contract level. So, um, so needless to say, like, you know, that negotiation process went well, um, you know, but I, my advice would be for anybody who's coming out of school or coming out of residency, you know, uh, if, especially if you're going into corporate, like definitely, you know, have an attorney look over, you know, your contract or have another, you know, uh, professional who is, uh, you know, very sharp with with numbers, look at it, um, you know, and just, to, you know, just to cover your base and, you know, just have a peace of mind at the end of the day, because, you know, I mean, it all sounds good on the surface with what they're offering, but, you know, if you sign a contract, you know, there's a lot of things behind the curtain that you may encounter that you don't like, and it may end up being a downfall for you, and it may be a sour experience, and, you know, nobody should have to go through all of that, you know what I mean? So I, I would say just do your due diligence and, you know, you know, just get, get a professional to, to look at it and, you know, just take your time, and, you know, there's no rush with signing a contract. You know, uh, a lot of I think a lot of the problem is that a lot of people who are, you know, uh, you know, eager to go out and work and coming fresh out of school, you know, they're eager to sign a contract just to say that they have a they have a job or an opportunity and they just want it over and done with. But but, you know, have they, you know, spent a little bit of time just reviewing the contract firsthand, you know, I think that'll that'll save a lot of the headache, you know, it makes perfect sense. I mean, when it comes to contract negotiation, there's a wide range of how things can go. You can be anywhere from at a corporate dental, dental office where this is a standard contract, either sign here or you're not going to accept this position, yeah. to as far as an independent contract where basically you bring your own contract to the table and you present it to the office and either they sign on to your services or they do not. So there's a wide range of things. Um, so anyone here when when you're thinking about the contract that you're eventually going to sign uh think about uh what how involved you want to be in the contract negotiation process is a standard contract uh pretty good to you especially if you have other mentors who are already doing or in these different positions that you want to be in or do you want to control your own fate and create your own contract that could be great or it could not be great 
just because you come up with it don't mean it's going to be good. So definitely keep that in mind. So as we're talking about this, let me ask you this. If each of you guys could add one component to your contract, what would it be? Would you increase your pay? Would you add more PTO? Would you add more continued education? What would you do? Definitely add more CE off rip. Definitely add more CE because you don't, you, you never realize how expensive CE is because you're so used to getting it for free when you're in school, right? It's just like, all right, cool. Another CE, bet. We're just going to go for a quick three, four hours, right? We'll go to that weekend seminar and that's a quick 10 hours. You don't even realize that weekend seminar probably costs you $12,000 in the real world. You know what I'm saying? And so in that space, when you get out, a lot of people aren't willing to offer you a high amount of CE, you know, because again, there is a lot of free stuff out there that you could use to, you know, build up your repertoire just, or, you know, early on, right? While you're still stacking your bread. Uh, but I would definitely come out the gate asking for more continued education because there are weekends that you want to take off that you can't, you know, you can't afford on an early salary, right? But you're just getting out. You don't necessarily want to start shelling out $10,000 for you know, an institute over here that's going to take a week. You don't have that kind of bread, but those are the institutes that you need the most early on, right? It's just like, yo, like, what if I want to, you know, be a great esthetician, right, or aesthetic dentist in this space, and I want to start that off early. I know it five years is where I want to be, but you can't afford that clinic. You can't afford that CE yet, you know? So it's just, it's that's that's where I would start. You know, that's where I would ask for more. Let's go. Go to Chris. What would you I would probably second that, Duke. I, I, I would probably second that. I, I think, I think for me, like you know, coming out, you know, as a as an endodontist, you know, I, I think that, you know the contract that I got was was pretty solid. I mean, from you know the day the number of days of working to you know um, the number of days off, all of that stuff. I mean, that was fine. But I think what would have made the contract a little sweeter is if if they had you know, um, uh, CE, like if they say, Hey, look, you know, we'll, 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 we'll pay for you to go take, to go to the AAE every year, or right. we'll, we'll pay for you to go take a surgical, you know, endo course or whatever. Like, I, I think that would be nice because the thing is, is that, you know, when you get out here and you practice, you have to maintain your license. So in order for you to keep that license active, not only do you have to pay for it, but you have to have a certain amount of CE by a certain time. I'm not sure for North Carolina. I think it's like what every two years. It's every two years. I think. Am I wrong? Fifteen every year. No, it's fifteen every year. Okay. So I think with New York State, it's uh, I believe it's every three years. You need a certain amount of CE. So now, of course, with CE, it costs it costs money. I mean, big money. I mean, almost like tuition money. You know, depending on where you're going, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely second that. You know, uh, that would definitely make the opportunity much sweeter if somebody was putting the bill on, you know, me taking a CE course. Yeah. You know? but I think, I think what I, I think my first step in that space would be switching my thinking because the verbiage is what matters most. Right. So they'll say we'll give you a certain amount of money for CE. Well, how about you give me a certain amount of hours of CE that you're going to cover? If I switch that, that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't dictate to them how I'm going to get those hours, just means that they got to cover me for the hours, right? So I got to definitely start thinking of it that way, right? So from now on, if I move into another contract, I'm going to say, okay, at least cover 10 hours per year on the contract, right? If they can, if they're capable of doing that, most people probably won't, 
you know what I'm saying? But I'm going to ask for high. I'm going to ask high. You know, I'm, I'm going to come in saying this is what I want, and I'll see mm-hmm. how they can do that, right? And so if they say, all right, we'll give you six, that's a that's a, that's a a solid bet because that six could be, you know, uh, an institute that I want to actually attend, right? That could give mm-hmm. me an entire weekend of work, right? Or that could at least pay for half of a process that I want to go through. And so I'm just, it's just, I got to switch that up or at least start thinking about that in a different fashion. Yeah. I'm going to sneak in one more business related question before we switch gears back to clinical. So for the two of you, uh, do you foresee practice ownership in your future? Um, or do you see a, maybe a, a larger scale independent contractorship in your future? What do you foresee in your um, immediate, let's say five to 10 year future within dentistry? I think a lot of us come in already thinking practice ownership. A lot of us come in with that mindset off rip. Like as soon as you come into dentistry, the first thing many people will say is, oh, eventually I want to go have my own practice. That's shifting now because a lot of people are saying, well, I won't say a lot, but a good number of people are saying, I really don't want the burden of, you know, practice ownership. I'd rather just maintain that employeeship and, you know, build whatever I want to build through that. Um, so it's a, it's a growing trend now that we're seeing a lot of people move away from that private practice model into the group practice model. And so, um, that, I mean, that's, that's one thing, but I, I personally think that I want to go into private practice because I want to be able to, again, express myself a bit more through my work, through my business. Right. So when I put something or create something into, in this world, I want it to last, but I also want it to represent me. Right. And so in that space, if I create a business, if I create a, a, a licensed dental organization of any sort, I want it to be something that lasts, that creates some sort of value, some form of value within the realm of dentistry and without, you know what I'm saying? And that's permanent, you know, granted, however, however, however much permanence is available to a man in this world. You feel what I'm saying? So that's my mindset. Yeah, I definitely want to have a practice. You know looking towards that within the next five years or so for me um you know i'm kind of like in a i'll say a weird space now um as it relates to my future in you know endo practice um you know when i was in dental school you know i've always aspired to be a practice owner and i guess over time you know those dreams have dwindled a bit um, you know, and, and what, what I'm saying is, is not to discourage anyone from their dreams or if they if they aspire to be a practice owner, go for it, shoot for the moon. I mean, right. go, go the skies, there's no the sky's no limit. Remember, Duke? <laughs> sky's right. no limit. Right? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, look, just just go as far as your potential can reach. I mean, just shoot for it. But again, like, you know, being a practice owner is not for everyone, totally. you know. And uh, over the years, like I've, I, I, I've, I've spoken to a lot of, you know, dentists and specialists and, you know, some of them are very happy with what they do. Some, they're like, uh, they have regrets. They're like, I think I would have done it differently or, you know, or you just got some that are just like, look, I hate this. Like, I really hate this. Like, I do not. Like uh, I'm so annoyed. Like my hair turning gray, my hair's falling out. My wife won't leave me alone. Oh, that, that, like it's like it. There's it, with practice ownership. Like you know, there's there's a lot that goes into it, and it's more than just you know going by a building 
and hanging up a sign says we're open. <laughs> like, no, it, it, it's more than just that. Um, I think for myself personally, um, I've flirted with the idea of, you know, um, you know, journeying into, you know, practice ownership, you know, but I'm not really, I'm not really for certain as of yet. So um, I may open up a practice within 10 years or less, who knows? Um, I've had, you know, other, you know, dentists, even patients that are like, man, you should have your own practice. And I'm like, right. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. You know, that uh, dream to you, boy. I tell you what, they're saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but, but see, here, here's the thing. A lot of dental students believe that practice ownership is the only way no. to really like make it in a way like, you know, there, I tell people all the time, like, you know, there, there, there's a million ways to make a million dollars. Right. And owning a practice is just one of them. I mean, yeah, you can make a million dollars depending on what you're doing and how you're doing it. But but I'm just, you know, just saying that just to be saying it. But like, you know, practice ownership is, is a different beast. I mean, that is a, that is a, an educational experience in of itself. Like it's more than just doing a dentistry. Like I, I, I have friends who own private practices and they're like the dentistry is, you know, that's like second that's nature. That's not that's the, that's the easy part it's managing the business and even now like in, in i mean like you know one of the uh the partners you know him and i we, we talk and he tells me all the time all the time when he's making the schedule you know he's like chris you'll see you'll see like running a business is hard running a business is really hard it's the <laughs> staff the staff you got to deal with the staff you got like, with, with practice ownership you have to wear so many hats you have yep. to wear so many hats. You are the doctor. You are the face of the practice. You are the HR person. You fire people. You have to, you know, maintain the relationships with referrals. I mean, just everything, you name it. But again, like, you know, that comes with, you know, um, another, you know, level of maturity and just thicker skin. You know, like you just got to have, you know, the guts, the courage and knowledge and, you know, just to, you know, open and maintain a practice, you know, it's not easy. I mean, I mean, who knows? I mean, I may open one soon or you know, all soon these words practice. and watch Dr. Chris open seven practices and seven. Right. Yeah. I'm going to just skip know, past man. his long explanation. Dr. Chris is a boss. Don't let him fool you. Probably had a long day at work today. So we just going to leave that there right there. But I do have a question for you, Dr. Duke. Why private practice over a residency so for me it was a matter of and this is going to sound selfish and somewhat short-sighted but i wanted to get to the paper honestly and truly i felt i was gonna what i would have learned in the gpr or agd setting i'm gonna learn in the real world and i'll probably learn it a lot faster with no quote-unquote breaks right and so effectively that learning curve is a lot steeper and so i said to myself all right, dude, what's the fastest way and most efficient way that you've learned knowing who you are uh, to actually gather and acquire and maintain information? And for me, it's just doing it, right? Granted, in a G, in an AGD or GPR, it's a more controlled setting. It's, you still have that, you know, that safety net that comes with, you know, having those uh, lead doctors around, et cetera. You know, and I'm not knocking that. I'm not taking away from that. I wish I'd done it. You know, it would have been a great experience. Um, but nevertheless, I said to myself, this is the best route for me. 
I had an opportunity. I saw the opportunity. I took the opportunity, right? So I took it. I took advantage of that space, and uh, I feel like it was a great it was a great experience because now I'm in a spot in this group practice setting with individuals who collectively have about a hundred years of experience between them, right? And I'm just starting out as an individual who has however many however many months to a year's worth of experience on them. And I'm sitting in here with all these individuals who have owned group practices, who have owned private practices, who have worked in other, in other places, who are dropping implants, who are doing the endo, who are doing X, Y, and Z, right? And I'm getting pointers from all of these individuals at the same time, building my workhouse, taking the CE, expanding, expanding my box, for lack of better terms. Um, and I, I felt like that was the most expeditious route to where I wanted to be within that five to 10-year plan, right? And so... It ain't, it, I won't say that this move is for everybody. I know a lot of people do it. I know a lot of people don't, but it's just, you know, get to know yourself in that space and know what, what's best for you. How quickly do you want to advance? How, how comfortable are you with being uncomfortable? Because this is a very uncomfortable space. Um, I would go so far as to say jumping right out from school into the workforce is the most uncomfortable because you don't really know the rules, right? They'll literally tell you, everything you learned in dental school, go ahead and, and leave that there. They train, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They, they trained you to, you know, to, to get to, they, they trained you well enough to make that work in that setting. Now you're in the real world, right? We need you to, you know, pick it up and we need you to be a lot more effective in that, you know, if, in that pace. But nevertheless, yeah, man, I, that's why I decided to go this route. I just felt like I would learn more, you know, if I was in the fire. Dr. Chris, why endo? Why endo? Why endo? Out of everything you could have oh, done. Chris, Chris gonna tell you a story. Now, nah, well, watch. Hold on. <laughs> short version, Doc. Wait. wait. <laughs> you said what? The short version? Short version. <laughs> All right, I got you. I won't be long-winded this time. Uh, short version is that, you know, I knew that I wanted to be a specialist when I got into dental school. So I originally wanted to be an orthodontist. By the second year, I was like, no, that's not happening. Um, then uh, I used to work in a uh, correctional facility while I was at dental school. And the dentist who I was working with, he was just extracting teeth all day. And I, I thought I wanted to be an oral maxillofacial surgeon. And because I had so much surgical experience at, at Michigan, I was like, oh, I want to be an oral surgeon. But then I was like, oh, it's got to be more than just pulling teeth all the time. And I'm detail oriented. So, you know, I was like, you know, let me look into endodontics. And, you know, I shadowed some endodontists in the, in the area at the time and um, I was, you know, in the uh, endo clinic at Michigan and I was like, man, you know, what? I think I, I think I want to be an endodontist instead. And, um, it's been up since then. Um, I guess <laughs> it's more of a, a, a precision driven procedure, you know, like I'm very detail oriented. And of course, like, you know, I, I, I play video games in case y'all didn't know, like I, I play video games and, you know, some of these games where you gotta have like certain hand-eye coordination and everything. Absolutely. So, you know, um uh, a buddy I know, he's an endodontist as well. He was like, you know what? Like endodontics is like a video game, but with real life sequela. Like, <laughs> you have to know like, because the thing is it's like you know, you gotta have very good hand-eye coordination skills, but you gotta also remember that you're working on a patient, so you know. No, it's like, that's a person in that chair. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, you know, there's just, um, you know, there's like, you know, real life sequela after like, you know, treating the patient. So you can't just look at it as a video game. You get a microscope, we look, it's like VR in real life. And, you know, 
Um, but, you know, I, I also got into it, you know, again, like I said, you know, in the be beginning of the show is that, you know, I wanted to have an impact on someone's life in a positive way. And I thought it would be through aesthetics, you know, looks and all that. But instead, it's pain, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, getting the patient out of pain. And, you know, just that I mean, not. Not inflicting <laughs> pain on people, but you get what Dr. I'm saying. Pain, come on. No, nah, not cause people pain, pain, but to get people out of pain, you get what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, so Dr. You know, Chris, let me ask you this: as far as the endo diagnosis, right? For, mm. for beginners, let's say a first year dentist who hasn't taken endo yet, what are the endo diagnoses for popal and periapical? It was like a quick go back into your professor mode when you used to teach me endo. Put the hat on. You put were the hat a resident. On, put the hat on, Doc. Oh my gosh, man, I put me on the spot. Obviously, you have a normal pulp, reversible pulpitis, um, asymptomatic reversible pulpitis, symptomatic reversible pulpitis, pulpal necrosis. That's it pretty much for the pulpal. Then you have periapical, you have normal periapex, you have symptomatic apical periodontitis, asymptomatic apical periodontitis, you have condensing osteitis, you have uh, chronic apical abscess, acute apical abscess, and uh, oh, for pulpal, you also have either previously initiated or previously treated. So for a general dentist, let's say from Dr. Duke's perspective, right, at what point should he be thinking this tooth might need a root canal? I mean, okay, so if he if he has a patient and he's like, you know what, I think you would need a root canal. Um, I would say, you know, it, it again, it's multifactorial. It depends on you know the chief complaint, you know, patient chief concern, you know, um, the history of present illness, and you know, just you know, history of you know a dental history. You know, if they have recent dental work. You know, it, it, it's all it's all a big picture at the end of the day. When you when you hear some trigger words, effectively, when do you know? Uh, let's say somebody comes in and saying it's a throbbing pain that's keeping me up at night. Oh you yeah, know? so like you know, you know, classic, you know, symptoms like, oh, uh, like I've been up all night. Like I woke up out of my sleep and Tylenol isn't working, Advil isn't working. Like it's constantly lingering. It's throbbing or it's sharp. It's it's like a shooting pain. You know, um, you know, a, a lot of patients like, you know, paint these words to try to describe their painful experience. And, you know, these are usually buzzwords that something isn't right. And right. So I, another follow up is when do you know it's pulpal versus just periapical? How do you differentiate between the two just based off of those trigger words? Well, usually, I mean, well, this is where and and. uh I mean, obviously you have the subjective, right? You know, you have the right. subjective examination, you have an objective examination. So the subjective is all the patient, like they're basically telling you what's going on with them, but then objectively you have to examine them to, you know, determine, you know, a pulpal and a periapical diagnosis. Um, now you can't, for the most part, okay? You can't have one without the other unless, it's, you know, let's say, for example, if it's like a, a, a pulp that's healthy and normal, you know, but they're still having like, uh, you know, um, percussion pain or pain upon touch or biting. It could be, you know, it could be from, you know, heavy occlusal forces, 
you know, trauma even, you know, the pulp may be fine, but the ligament spaces, you know, that are um, inflamed due to um, heavy stresses from, um, from heavy biting. And we see those often too, you know, people, a lot of people are under stress, especially during the pandemic. Like, you know, a lot of people have like a normal healthy pulp, but you know, they're grinding their teeth left and right because they're. You know, and a lot of that, I'm seeing a lot of crack too. Oh yeah, me too. I'm man. I, I'm seeing a lot of crack too, for sure. In, in dental school, you know, they we would hear about crack tooth syndrome, but then when you get to the real world and people are telling you, I can feel it in my gums, but my tooth doesn't hurt. You're like, what? I don't understand. Break so that when they down. down. Break that down. With crack tooth syndrome. Break that down. So yeah. effectively, effectively, it's like. Um, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but effectively that tooth may have a fracture line in it, right? Causing some sort of, it may, may have been from trauma, may have been, you know, from bacteria, who knows, right? But effectively this tooth is cracked, right? But it's still vital, right? It's still alive. It's still useful. Or, you know, the tooth may have been root canal treated, but let's go with the fact that it's vital now, right? And so they're chewing, they're feeling whatever they feel, but then one day they bite down and it sends a shooting pain all through their jaw. Like, whoa, that didn't feel good. And now anytime they bite down, they're like, I can feel it in my gums. It, it, it hurts when I bite down, but the tooth in and of itself has no root canal issues or no endodontic issues. It's just that that tooth is cracked, right? And so you put a root canal in that tooth and you put a crown on it, you preserve that tooth so that it doesn't completely crack in tooth, right? You maintain it. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've, I've seen patients come in and uh, tooth was previously root canal treated and you know, she, you know she, she'll be 86 years old and say, you know, it just, it hurts when I bite or it's painful when I chew, it's painful when I bite down, but that crown looks fine. That tooth looks fine. You got to go back through the note and see where somebody may have said this you know, tooth is exhibiting symptoms of, you know, crack tooth syndrome, yada, 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 mm-hmm. right? And just knowing what to look for, you know, probing depths, et cetera, just checking everything around that tooth um, and that... Doing that endo, knowing that that's what you're what you're getting into, is is the difficult aspect, right? And so that's where you start going into the referral part, right? Like, okay, well, it seems like this is what that is, but I don't see any clinical evidence to state that this tooth needs a root canal. There's no paral periapical radiolucency. There's no, you know, infection. There's, you know, that I don't see anything outside of a minor crack in that tooth that this patient is now complaining about. Only way to fix that is to root canal treat it. And so it was just like, dang, well, I wish we'd have learned more about that aspect on the front end, right? But that's why I'm like, okay, this is why coming into the practice the way I came into practice is so beneficial for me, right? Certain things that you thought you knew, you got to refurbish, you got to refresh. So let me ask this quick question. Last clinical question I have for y'all. What are some conditions, briefly, that people misconstrue that might actually need a root canal? that maybe not need a root canal? Crack teeth. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm I mean, Chris, Chris take, you can take that one, bro. I mean, but honestly. Yeah, you, um, okay, so the question was, what What are some, some examples that, or what are some situations or scenarios? Like where a people pathology, we learned like forward osseous dysplasia is a common mm-hmm. one in African-American yeah. women. Yeah. Anything else we need to be aware of? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so so that's a that's a I wouldn't necessarily say it's common, but it is something that's, yeah, I'm that, that where like people were quick to refer to an endodontist because they see a lesion on the lower anteriors of, mm-hmm. you know, 
African-American women. You know, they're like, oh, well, there's a lesion there. You need a root canal. And I've had several come in and they say, hey, I have no history of pain. I have no history of swelling. I'm not running a fever. I am okay. Like my dentist just said that I need a root canal. So, you know, we go through, again, it's all about chief concern. She just gave you the answer right there. She has no problems whatsoever. Now, of course, there are people who have issues, but they're not, they're, but they're not symptomatic, right? So and it, for, 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 for this example alone, um, if there's no, you know, history of recent dental work or, you know, no chief concern really as it relates to pain or swelling or, or anything like that, but all of a sudden you see like a low density or mixed radio, a mixed uh, density lesion associated with like lower anterior teeth, you know, I, I can see how, you know, a lot of people may confuse this with apical periodontitis, yeah. but it's not apical periodontitis. It's periapical cemental osseous dysplasia and the etiology is unknown. Mm-hmm. Like we don't know how it comes. It, it starts as a radiolucency. It starts as a radiolucency, but over time, it evolves into, it changes to a mixed density lesion. It just, it's just a white lesion with a radiolucent rim around it. Yeah. And all the pulse are vital. You can cold test the teeth, you um, perform electric pulp testing and they all respond within normal limits. And there is no need for a root canal. The human body is amazing, right? And the reason yeah. I'm bringing this up is because as, as dental practitioners, uh, it, it's on us to make sure that we we're abreast of these things so we can yep. advocate for these different populations, um, yep. specifically African-American women who might have this particular condition now that you've heard about it. Now we can advocate for them if they're telling us exactly what Dr. Chris just said. I've been told that I have some 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 something going on my x-rays. Uh, everything is alive. I can feel everything. But they're telling me root canal. That's when you might step in and say, do you mind bringing me your x-rays? I'll take a second look at it for you. Um, because actually in our group, in our group chat, one of the patients that I was serving um, had a very similar situation. She had all of her lower anteriors uh, root canal treated. I dropped mm. it in the chat and I'm thinking to myself, like, how could this even be possible? And that's the first thing Dr. Chris brings up, that particular condition. Um, I wish one of us could have caught that a little bit early because then we could have advocated to make sure that that does not happen for that patient. So um, as dental practitioners, it's our responsibility moving forward to make sure we can advocate for the advocateless individuals out there. So my last question to both of you docs, uh, where this whole thing began, our book club, tell us what is your number one book you have read and why? It can be one of your top five because if you read enough books, you you don't even have a number one anymore. You just got about to say, a yeah, lot of books that I like. Yeah. Right. Uh, and we read some good ones, man. Um, Black Privilege, uh, Shoe Dogs. Uh, dang, how many have we read at this point, man? It's, it's just so many. I can't even remember all these, man. We even read my book, man. Um, <laughs> all right, we read so many books. Said, I even read my book. Shameless <laughs> plug. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it was the way of the superior man. Mm. No, better yet, no, no, no. Let me go back. Let me go back. The four agreements. That was a good one too. And which I one? Four agreements. The four agreements was the best for. Okay, tell us why. Um, because it, it gave me it gave me some insight as to how I could better 
regulate myself in all situations, right? It, it was, it was, they were lessons that I feel were applicable in all facets, throughout all facets of life, right? It was like, not just as a dentist, not just as, you know, a man, not just as a black man, but as a person in this world, that book was useful because it just, it, it showed me that there are different ways. There are avenues that you can take in order to effectively get through whatever you're going through in that regard, right? But in the way of the superior man effectively just, you know, doubled up on that, that aspect. That was a good one. That was yeah. a good one, man. I yeah. still think about that one. Not, hey, Chris, what you got? I would say, I would say like, um, one of the books that was pretty interesting, it was, uh, it's, it's titled How to Get Your Life. Uh, by Kareem Taylor. Um, this book came out, I think, in 2015. It was it, it was nothing related to dentistry. It was just a very interesting book. Um, you know, he he was a um, a voice actor for a, a lot of different uh, networks, and you know, I, and I thought that was pretty interesting. And the book is basically about his life and how he went through college and how he, you know, eventually, um, you know. Uh, got into the voiceover industry and and um, and then he, it was basically like a motivational book in a way and then it kind of inspired me to you know just you know to persevere through anything and to just you know pursue anything that I want out of life you know regardless of what the external looks like like just go for it you know so um, you know it, it was it was really good I, I enjoyed reading that book and I mean I could read it again just to kind of like you know <laughs> get a little bit more motivation yeah <laughs> you know? yeah man i'll man. probably say mine um besides the bible it's probably start start with your why i think that was really oh cool. yeah yeah that's that was a good, good one. one that's a good one start with why i, I still haven't read that book i heard i heard it what it just helped me organize my thoughts you know right so when i'm putting forth certain efforts you know when you reach certain resistances you think to yourself is this a resistance i need to push past because it aligns mm -hmm. with my why or is this something i need to turn turn right and go away from because it's not even worth my energy at this point right i, I think that was a really really good read but um, ultimately i want to thank you both for your time tonight uh and we talked about so many different topics in like 45 minutes um, anybody coming behind us and wa watching this um they're gonna have so much game to refer back to honestly so joining the, mo the morning huddle. Like I said, I'm one half of it. Uh, student Dr. Kamal Smith couldn't be here tonight, but thank you everybody for tuning in and thank you to both of you docs. If you have any closing remarks. Bless up, keep your head up, keep that shoulder to the plow. Yes, sir. Stay focused, stay grounded, keep God first and, you know, just persevere. You know, regardless of what the naysayers say, just keep going, you know. Like Duke said, you know, keep your head up to the clouds, man. Just keep pushing. Keep pushing. That's it. Keep Thank pushing. You all for in front of the other. Yes, sir. Y'all have a great evening. Y'all take care. Thank you for having me, man. Right. Thank you, man.